Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Boy, a lot of stuff going on. A jury selection in the Kyle Rittenhouse case started this morning in Kenosha. I know the judge had said he hopes to have a jury selected by the end of the day. That strikes me as being incredibly optimistic. And I've been watching the jury selection proceedings as they're live streamed. And, and, and as you would expect, it's it's going very slowly. What they've done is they've they've assembled like 150 potential jurors and they have 70 in the courtroom and they're asking a, a series of questions to those 70 and and right now it's just the judge that is asking those questions and based on the answers that some people are giving they're getting tossed off the jury and some people for example just they're they're arguing that they don't they're not available for a trial that's going to run two or three weeks because of various things and so they get excused. Uh, then there's others who are just I think probably being honest and saying hey we know about this case and we formed opinions. Now the, the test in getting a jury isn't whether you you haven't heard about a case because I mean candidly to have not heard about the written to live in Kenosha and to have not heard about the Rittenhouse case and the underlying circumstances. You'd have to be a hermit, <laughs> and, you, and you, you don't want a jury of, of hermits. I mean, you don't want people who are so current event ignorant that they've never heard of this situation. So you're not going to find people who haven't heard of it. What you're looking for is to try to find a jury of people who, even though they have heard about it, they are open-minded and say, okay, well, we, we haven't, we can decide the guilt or innocence of Kyle Rittenhouse based on the evidence that's presented in the courtroom. And that's always a dicey thing because um, sometimes there's people who really have made up their mind, but they say it because they want to be on the jury. So in any event, they're at the initial phases of starting to weed people out. And then there's been a number of people so far this morning that stand up and they say, no, we've, we've, we've expressed opinions about it. We've told people about what we think and they're, they're being let off the jury, and then you have to bring somebody else in. After the judge goes through the process of asking the, the questions that the judge is going to ask, at that point in time, the attorneys get to ask questions of the prospective jurors themselves. And this is one of the key elements, in, and they call the whole process voir dire, which it means speak the truth. Uh, the, the attorneys will question uh, jurors in an effort to try to weed out potential biases and things like that. And I, I would imagine, I mean, if I was a, an attorney that was asking this juror questions, you're, you're going to have all sorts of questions asked about, you know, how, how do you feel about the Second Amendment? How do you feel about the social justice movement? How do you feel about Black Lives Matter? All, all these different things that I think are going to be, uh, you know, what what is your view of policing? All these different sorts of things. And there's going to be a number of questions like that. And my guess is that will lead to more jurors being disqualified because because of the answers they give ultimately what happens is you will get you will get down they, they want 
they want 20 jurors, which would be 12 jurors and eight alternates. And I, I don't know, judges do it differently. I, I don't know that they automatically designate, you know, who the alternates are. A lot of times they, they just draw that, but I don't know how this particular judge does it. But you'll get down to a pool of, let's say, you need 20 jurors, you'll ultimately winnow it down to a pool of, let's say, 40, whatever the numbers are, and each side will get 10 of what they call peremptory strikes. So you can you can knock off people that you do not think are going to be sympathetic to your side, even though there's not enough evidence to get them discharged for what would you say, we would say cause, that is, the, the fact that they, they wouldn't be a fair juror. Um, the judge, like I say, thinks that they might have a jury seated by today. I would... I would be surprised. I think that's being overly optimistic. My guess is, my guess is it's going to take a while to get a jury in this case. And I will tell you, this is a very, very key stage of it because the, um, especially given the publicity this case has gotten, given the issues that overlay this case beyond simply the act itself, this is, um, I, I think, Picking jurors, especially trying to find jurors that can be open-minded, is a very key part for both the prosecution and the defense. And I, I just maybe I'll be wrong. This judge, obviously, this guy has been on the bench since 1983. To give you a perspective on that, um, I, I, um, I, I got out of law school in 1982, so he, he, he's, he, he started on the bench the year after I got out of law school, so he's been around forever. I, I think it's going to take a long, longer time than they think to, to get a jury, and then once they get the jury, the first step will be opening statements and all. I think that this case is probably, all likelihood, I think it's probably going to end up going, the, the estimates are like two weeks. I think it's going to go all of two weeks, perhaps more than that. The operative question, one of the big things that's out there, and I don't know what the answer is, is whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse takes the stand at, as a defendant. The defense here is going to be self-defense, and we're, we've talked about it. And we'll, we'll kind of go through the nuances as the testimony comes in, and we will spend some time, like I said, over the next couple of weeks talking about it. But typically, a defendant is under no obligation to testify. And the jury is instructed that the fact that the defendant chooses not to testify cannot be held against them, and it does nothing to deal with the presumption of innocence. The defendant is innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt by the state. And if the defense of self-defense is raised, it becomes the burden of the state to prove that this was not a self-defense case beyond a reasonable doubt. Typically, if you would ask me, I would say it's tough just regardless of what the jury instructions are, if your defense is, I, I was defending myself and I felt my life was endangered and that's why I did what I did, I think in some respects it's tough to, as a practical matter, it's tough to sell that un- unless you get on the witness stand and testify. I mean, I think jurors, you can give them all the instructions they want about presumptions and things, but I think jurors... I think jurors, if that's the defense, are going to want to hear from Kyle Rittenhouse. Will he take the witness stand? Well, that's the $64,000 question. What kind of witness would he be? And if he takes the witness stand, does that, on cross-examination, open up the doors to explore other aspects of Kyle Rittenhouse that maybe the prosecution's not going to be able to get in evidence in the first place. For example, you know, uh, things that he might have said or done beforehand, pictures he might have had taken uh, before and, and after the incident, you know, all those different types of things become perhaps relevant or more relevant if he ends up taking the witness stand. So I don't know how that whole thing is going to turn out, but right now we are in the very early stages trying to 
get ultimately 20 impartial jurors or people who say that they can decide the case on the evidence presented in the courtroom. And as the trial starts, like I say, we'll go into a little bit more analysis and in-depth analysis and what the prosecution's trying to accomplish with different witnesses and what the defense is trying to accomplish. Um, I, I do, this, this is, I mean, it's taken 14 months since the incident for this case to get to trial, and there's no question about it. The the eyes of the world are on this case, and just, I've been watching the live stream. If you look at the, the chats that are open on some of these various sources, it's just very, very clear that there's... People see this in in one of two ways. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is either viewed as this out-of-control, white supremacist vigilante who came to Kenosha looking for trouble, or he's viewed as a hero. And candidly, I think the truth is way in between. But we'll um, we'll end up discussing this. But the trial has, in fact, started the um, jury selection underway. I don't think they're going to get a jury today. I think if they get a jury by tomorrow, they'll be lucky. But like I say, the, the judge says he hopes to get one seated by today. Good luck with that. All right. When we come back, a dirty trick exposed. And let's go, Brandon. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A couple people were trying to watch this on Court TV. Uh, For for those of you who might not be familiar, Court TV was a a huge phenomena um, about 20 years ago or so. The the O.J. Simpson trial is really what, what made court tv because you could watch it and and what what the folks that ran court tv found was that there was an interest that average people had in in watching the proceedings and, and what went on in a courtroom it was kind of and so they would do wall-to-wall coverage of trials and the the, the interesting thing is from somebody who's probably tried over a hundred federal cases a, a lot a lot of the stuff that goes on in the courtroom is, is frankly boring. I mean, I, I think we all have this idea about, uh, because, you know, we, we watch the, the, the TV shows. You watch Perry Mason or you watch um, a, a number of the, the different courtroom dramas like the Law and Order things, and, and you see the, these these pivotal, pivotal moments that really catch your attention. Well, every once in a while there's make-or-break moments, but typically trials tend to be, boring affairs and arguments about the law and the particular rule of evidence and stuff often can be quite tedious. Well, anyhow, the, the court TV, the rush for that, it, it faded. Um, and so, you know, court TV really hasn't been much of an entity lately, but they're coming back in a big way. And, and now it's a streaming service. So you can go on the internet, you can log on. Court TV, now I don't know if it still is because I haven't been watching their live stream. They were down for, for, for at least a good portion, if not all of the morning. Now there were other streaming feeds that you could pick it up on, but Court TV was having technical difficulties and I'm thinking, okay, well if this was going to be one of their big trials that they used to return to public consciousness, Technical difficulties the first day of jury selection, probably not the best way to go. All right, tomorrow is a very big day in a number of areas across the country because tomorrow is election day. In Virginia in particular, there is a race which is being watched, and that is the governor's race in Virginia. Now, the reason this race is being watched closely is because Virginia has in recent years shifted from kind of a kind of a purple state to you know pretty much of a blue state um solidly democratic last year 2020 joe biden won the state of virginia by 10 points like 54 44 so 
This year, you've got the governor's race, and the Democratic candidate who is running is a former one-term governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, big political figure, tied in with the Democratic Party for decades. And he's being challenged by a relative newcomer to politics, um, a guy named Glenn Youngkin, who is, is the Republican candidate. This race pretty much all along until about the last month or so has been seen as a slam dunk for the Democrats. Virginia is a Democratic state. No way that uh, Virginia is going to go Republican. Well, that that whole dynamic has changed and it's changed in a big way. I understand that we want to view polls skeptically, and I think that that's appropriate. But the most recent polls that are out in the Virginia election all show this is a very, very tight race, whereas maybe two months ago they showed the Democrat McAuliffe ahead by 10, 12 points. The majority of the polls that are out there now show the Republican, Glenn Youngkin, ahead. But but again, within the margin of error. It's not like but, – but I think pretty much everybody who's looking at this – views the momentum as being on the side of the Republican, Glenn Youngkin. And I think this has surprised a lot of Democrats. And I, I think sometimes too much is made of saying, okay, this is an off-year election. What does it necessarily mean for 2022? I think sometimes people read too much into that. But I will say, if a Republican could win as the governor of Virginia after Joe Biden carried Virginia by 10 points a year ago, that does show right now that a lot of the, the swing voters who propelled Biden to a big win in Virginia are, are kind of souring on the Biden administration for a variety of reasons. And one of the issues that's really hit home with with the Virginia electorate has been the whole issues of, of schools. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, very much invested in like the critical race theory, and I mean he, he's and he's kind of doubled down on this. He's he's been giving speeches talking about how you know what we need to do is we need to diversify this student by the, the teachers. You know we've we've got fifty fifty minority students, majority and, and white kids, and we only got twenty percent minority teachers. He's been making this an issue. And Youngkin has seized on this, and and he's running a campaign based on, hey, you know, we need to, we being the citizens of the state, need to take back our education system from a lot of these bureaucrats who don't care what you think. That issue is resonating. Now, is it going to be enough to win? I don't know. I'm not in a position to make a prediction. But I will tell you this. This race is a lot closer than a lot of people thought it was going to be in the first place. And it would not be a surprise to me if the Republican pulls off an upset. One of the other indicators of that is some of the stuff that's going on in the race. And this is... You know, this is just, you want to talk about sleazy politics and a dirty trick that kind of backfired. Well, like I say, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, a lot of momentum, a lot of people showing up at his rallies and his events. So he's got this, this bus tour that he's going to be doing, and it kicks off the other day. And what happens is, on Friday, a number of... Young people, four men and one woman, women, woman dressed in white shirts, khakis, and sunglasses, holding tiki torches, meant to replicate. Th- th- this was the outfit of some of like the Proud Boys and stuff, the white supremacist group that showed up in Charlottesville a couple years ago. You know, the the thing where President Trump famously came out and said, "Well, there's good people and bad people on both sides of of the issue." So you get four or five of these people dressed in, in this 
these outfits carrying tiki torches that show up and say, we're all in for Glenn. And immediately the McAuliffe campaign jumps on this and they tweet out stuff saying, these are the people that are supporting, these are the people that are supporting the other side. And and here it's disgusting. It's disqualifying. This is who the supporters are, right? Well, it turns out that this was an event that was staged by this anti-Republican group that the Lincoln Project, which is, you know, one of these these groups that have been out there, like, uh, just spending millions of dollars trying to denounce Donald Trump and stuff. But this is all a put-up job. They sent out these people to create the impression that these were, in fact, you know, actually Youngkin supporters. When they turn out to be Democratic activists and, they te- and actors that are hired by this Lincoln Project, it's open. Nobody knows for sure whether um, the McAuliffe campaign was in on this or not. What we do know is that as soon as this happened, the McAuliffe campaign immediately started sending out pictures and saying, this is what the Yunkin campaign is all about. All I know is this dirty trick has now been exposed in a big way. And it tells me a lot about where the campaigns might think the race is. Because if you're for example, Terry McAuliffe, and you think you're comfortably ahead in this race, you're not going to have your people tweeting out photos of things like this and what turns out to be a dirty trick gone really, really bad. Now, like I say, the Lincoln Project is claiming it. It's up in the air as to whether the McAuliffe campaign knew about it, but they certainly tried to seize and take advantage of this. But the fact that you've got stuff like this going on tells me that Virginia may be primed for a huge political upset tomorrow. We'll know when the polls close. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And for those keeping score, uh, the jury selection process down in Kenosha in the Rittenhouse case, um, they've taken a lunch break. So no new developments. Again, I know the judge said he hoped to have a jury seated by the end of the day today. I, unless they're working until 1 or 2 in the morning, which they won't be, I don't think that's likely to happen. But, again, I guess stranger things have occurred. So are you surprised the judge isn't going to be sequestering? That means locking up the jurors during the course of the trial? You know, what I found interesting this morning, not really because of his comments this morning, where he basically said it would be um, pie in the sky of me to believe that none of you know anything about this case and have not been inundated with media coverage about it already so i'm just asking you speaking to the jurors that you take none of that coverage into consideration when you're talking about this trial it is it expensive to sequester oh, oh yeah it's i i, I, I yes i I'm, I'm not surprised about this plus it, it's a real imposition on jurors sequestration at, at the, during the trial is almost never done now once the case goes to the jury you know, I think at that point in time, you know, once they have the case for deliberations, that might be where you consider saying, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going home. You're not going home. You're going to stay till you get a verdict. But I mean, in this case, first of all, it's not just the cost. Yes, to answer your question directly, it's, it is, it is an expensive process, but also it's very, very invasive on jurors because, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, take a couple weeks off work or, you know, make other arrangements with your family stuff. But if you're not allowed to go home at night, mm-hmm. that, that's very, very hard on jurors. I, I only had a couple cases where the jury was sequestered, and actually, I don't think it's good because I think they also kind of get squirrely. I, you know, I, I mean, you're 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 just in the, your own little world, and so I, the the standard thing now is the judge will instruct jurors 
at the end of every day, do not watch television, do not listen mm-hmm. to radio, do not read printed stuff, stay off the internet, don't go searching for this. And that's one of the reasons, Mike, why they have, they're, they're going to pick 20 jurors, potential jurors, because inevitably what happens in a trial like this is, you, you might lose somebody. You know, something something happens. Somebody gets sick. Somebody's family member gets sick. You, somebody isn't able to follow the instructions of the judge, and they decide that, hey, I did some of my own research. That happens from time to time, and they'll come in and say, hey, guess what? I looked up the definition of involuntary manslaughter in the dictionary, and this is what they said. So that's why you have more than you need, so you can get rid of some. But sequestration during a trial is very it it, I think in general it's rare and I I think you know I kind of come to the opinion that essentially I think it's unnecessary in most cases do a lot of people do you think change their change their mind when when you go home like it just seems like the the hassle of sequestering them is not worth the the payoff I guess well, I, well, I can tell you what happened, and again, I, I did not have that. Sequestration is an unusual thing mm-hmm. during a trial. Um, what happens, what happens sometimes when you have jurors sequestered is, is clicks develop. By, by that I mean, you know, you have, you have a, a let, let's say you have one or two jurors who feel like strongly about a matter, and even though they're, they're not supposed to discuss the, when you're sequestered, it's not like, you're, you're, you're only supposed to do your jury deliberations and stuff when everybody's together. But when you've got people sequestered, every once in a while there might be like there, there's people that bond. You know, you like some people mm-hmm. more than others, and, and these cliques develop. And sometimes that makes it even more difficult for a jury to 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 reach a, a decision. You know, I, to me, it's an amazing process. I probably tried more than a hundred federal criminal jury trials, federal not state, but federal criminal jury trials. I only had one jury that got a hung jury a hung verdict on on one count because you, you jurors have to unanimously agree either you know guilty or, or not guilty. I on, only one time and it was only on one count they convicted the the guy on the other count which to me it, it's it's always been amazing it shows how people want to try to bond together and get a consensus because you know if if we just tw- took 12 strangers put them in an artificial situation like a courtroom where you know you the the judge and the and the attorneys control the evidence you hear and then said agree beyond a reasonable doubt we could tw- take 12 people around here we couldn't agree beyond a reasonable doubt on what to order for lunch you know <laughs> but but they're able to do it uh, you know that's really interesting about the the click process I, when that um, OJ Simpson documentary came out on ESPN a few years ago I, I think you saw an example of that where some of the jurors who agreed to speak on for that documentary said you know a couple of us had our minds made up already and then the other the, the rest of our goal essentially was yeah. to convince everyone else and you're eating lunch together and it's two three people sitting at a table yep. so that is an interesting thing i didn't think about that before before yeah. you mentioned it yeah no it it's and it it's it's real and from your position as a as a party as as a, i was a prosecutor but if see that's that's the thing i always talk about this is why what's going on now this jury selection today tomorrow wednesday however long it takes that's such a key element of the case because you want to what i always wanted to do is i wanted to avoid what i call the runaway juror the person who thinks who, who's who's got a strong personality and thinks that they're smarter than me and maybe they are a lot smarter than me but but the one who decides 
what they're going to be early on. They're not going to move off that and then is trying to subtly or sometimes not so subtly inf- you know, bring everybody else along. You, you want to avoid those strong personality types because if they're with you, it's great. If they're against you, it's just, you know, you're banging your head on a wall. So that's why this, this voir dire process is so important. You want to really try to weed this out and, and get rid of those strong personality types because, like I say, otherwise it's it, it's just the trial goes off the rails from the beginning. A lot of this is going to be done behind the scenes, right? I mean, I know every TV station in the country is, is in Kenosha right now, but a lot of this jury selection process goes on behind the scenes, right? And then they'll bring the jury out once it's all said and done. We won't see them, obviously. but We don't see No, but, I mean, it's going on now. They're asking all the questions. You don't see it. I mean, it's, it's, they're live streaming it now. I mean, all the questions that are being asked to the jury panel, you, you hear them, and you can hear the response of the people. So, you know, you, you don't see the potential jurors, mm-hmm. uh, but you can kind of hear them off camera. And what's going to happen right now, the judge has been asking the questions. At some point in time, they're going to let the parties start asking the jury, the potential jurors questions. And and that's where you're going to get into the really interesting stuff. Because if I was trying this case, I, I, I'd be asking, you're, you're, let's let's face it, the I understand it's a self-defense case, but there's this this overlay of the underlying facts. You're you're going to be asking people about how they feel about the social justice movement. Or how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? Do you own a gun? How do you feel about what type of guns do you own? How do you feel about the the Second Amendment? What do you think about the police? You're going to be asking all those questions, trying to determine, you know, where, where people are on these issues. So I thought it was interesting. So when Judge Schrader was laying out, here's what I expect from the jury. Here's what your responsibility is as jurors. He was very specific about saying this is not about the Second Amendment. Like this is not going to be an argument about about that. How, how big of a role does that play when they're trying to weed out this huge, you know, conglomerate of people to to weed it, whittle it down to twenty? Well, I, I mean, I, I think you know there, there's there's. What, there's what you tell the, the jury, and, and right, I mean, you say, look, you're, we're, this case is only to be decided on the evidence that's presented in the courtroom, and all this other stuff doesn't play into account. And that's what you tell them, and you, you, you hope to find people that are open-minded that way. But let's let's face it, this is Kenosha County. I mean, the, the jurors are coming from Kenosha County. Everybody in Kenosha County knows what happened in August of last year, and so everybody has these preconceived opinions out there and so it may or may not be against about the second amendment but if i'm a defense attorney and you've got for example somebody on the jury who doesn't believe that people should own firearms okay i I don't think there should be private ownership of firearms that's not going to be necessarily a pro written house juror and you're going to want to know about that because uh, again you're going to be swimming upstream, and the same is true. I mean, if I if I'm a if I'm a prosecutor, and I there's a potential juror that has uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I think they're you know the people that show up at these protests are nothing but rioters and looters and deserve what happens to them. Okay, I, I want to know that because it, it's that's going to influence it as well. So interesting, but we'll be spending a lot of time covering it. And like I say, the jury selection is a very important phase because you want to try to you want to try to avoid having that one or two really strong personality types because, like I say, if they're with you, it's great as a prosecutor or defense attorney. If they're on the other side, not so good. All right, when we come back, let's go, Brandon. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
All right. It is the latest pop culture moment, the phrase, let's go, Brandon. For people who are not familiar with the history of this, we got to back up a little. Uh, The Joe Biden presidency is is kind of after what I would call initially sort of a a halo effect. It's it's kind of cratering a, a little bit. I mean, if you believe the polls and I understand there's a lot of people who don't believe the polls, and I, I get that, but um, to the extent that there was a honeymoon, that, that honeymoon is pretty much over. Um, as I've said before, Joe Biden, I think he's going to go down in history as the guy that, that beat Donald Trump, and yes, he did beat Donald Trump. I think people need to move past that. But I, I don't think that there was this huge, oh, we, we have to, let's run through walls to, to vote for Joe Biden. He's going to be the greatest thing since canned beer. It was more like, a lot of people became illusion, disillusioned with Donald Trump. So Biden took over. Biden's tried to govern as if he had this huge mandate, and it's kind of blowing up in his face. Um, initially, he got high marks because, number one, he wasn't Trump, and number two, um, he seemed to have COVID under control. Well, with the, you know, with the Delta variant and stuff, the, the COVID pandemic, while it looks like it's getting better, it, it's still... You know, a lot of the points he got early on from seeming to have it under control, he's lost a lot of that. This thing in Afghanistan was a debacle. The thing at the border is a debacle. You've got inflation, which is roaring. You've got shortages that are already on a lot of shelves, and we're not at Christmas. And it's taking its toll. If you look at the Biden poll numbers, what you find is in most of the major polls, Biden is underwater, meaning more people disapprove than approve. And with the exception of Donald Trump, he has the the lowest approval ratings of any president in modern times, except for for Trump. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, how do we reverse it? One of the reasons that the Democrat in Virginia is in as much trouble is I think a lot of a lot of the swing voters are disillusioned with Biden and they're disillusioned with Democrats and they're taking it out. And that's what happens. I mean, politics is a pendulum. It swings one way and then it swings back. In this case, it's swinging back perhaps faster than some people anticipated. But that's the background. Biden is becoming more unpopular. So last October, NASCAR race, there is a NASCAR driver that's being interviewed on NBC. And there's fan. His name is Brandon Brown. And there's fans of NASCAR that are are there. They're in the background during the live interview and they are chanting. Well, what they're chanting is it's a word that we cannot say on the radio. It's the F word blank Joe Biden, except they're not saying blank. Okay, three words blank Joe Biden, but they're not saying blank and they're chanting it and they're chanting it. And this has been a, a sort of common chant which has popped up from time to time. Well, anyhow, the the NASCAR reporter, Kelly Stavist is her name, she decides rather than, and this is going out over live TV, and rather than ag- ignore it or acknowledge what's going on, she says that they're chanting, let's go Brandon, in support of Brand. Uh, in, in support of Brandon Brown. Well, that's not what this is. I, I mean, so you've got a couple different things that are going on. First of all, there, this is, again, it's portrayed as, again, the mainstream media trying to, to cover up for Joe Biden's flaws. That might be overthinking it. I think this might just be an embarrassed reporter who's trying to pretend that their network didn't air a word that they're not supposed to air. But anyhow, this then becomes the thing. So instead of 
blank Joe Biden. People are going, let's go, Brandon. That That's it. And and this is kind of taken off. And lots of people are now saying this. Now, the latest story about it involved um, a pilot on Southwest Airlines the other day. And if you've ever flown Southwest, I'm a huge fan of Southwest. I, I fly. That is my airline of choice. But they always... The flight attendants and the pilots, they always tend to be, they try to be jokey and funny. That's, that's just what they do. And they, they, most of them do in various forms. Well, apparently one of the pilots, as the plane is like landing or something, when he's making his jokey remarks, he allegedly says, let's go, Brandon. And you get some people who are just all upset about that. I'm never flying Southwest again because the pilot said this and Southwest says it's going to be investigating it all. Well, obviously, in the context of Southwest, I think the pilots and the flight crew, even if they're trying to be good natured and jokey, I, I think they would be well advised to stay away from politics in in this regard it's just it's in the workplace and i don't think it's funny and i don't think the pilot should in this case have done it i might have smiled but i understand how other people wouldn't have smiled the larger point though is that there's many many people out there including people on the left who are absolutely outraged by the fact that there are folks who now chant let's go brandon our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All I would say is how quickly people forget. I I, I was doing this show during, you know, the, the George W. Bush years and, and the war in Iraq and all that. And the things that people said, it wasn't let's go, Brandon. The things that people said and chanted about George Bush, I would just... I, I wish it was stuff like, let's go, Brandon, because at least you can make the argument there that that's kind of this clever thing. There was no cleverness about it. Donald Trump, okay, I understand that Trump gave as good as he got. There's no question about it. And I understand that Trump definitely coarsened the White House. But the response, things that people, the signs that people would put up and the things that people would say about Donald Trump and the vulgarities that were used. I mean, candidly, I wish the left had something as clever as Let's Go Brandon. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, the Southwest pilot, it's in the workplace. I, he, if I were the president of Southwest, regardless of how I felt about it, I would say that went too far. Do you fire him? You don't fire him, but you say, you know, knock it off. It wasn't that funny, you know, because you're going to be offending some of our passengers and we don't want to do it. Let's keep politics out of the the airplane. But the larger question of, of let's go, Brandon, as a chant, which is clearly mocking of the president, are you offended? Are you bothered by it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, I, I think Joe Biden's got a lot more stuff to worry about. 855-616-1620. Does let's go, Brandon, bother you? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 855-616-1620. Ryan in Oconomowoc. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Um, just, well, you know, I, so I'll just start by saying I did, I did vote for Joe Biden. Um, he, I'm not the world's biggest Joe Biden fan. Uh, I'm not, I don't go around pounding my chest that I did. Um, I have friends on both ends, uh, both sides of the aisle. Um, we discuss stuff. I have yet to hear one person. Um, have in any uproarious way have anger about the phrase "Let's go, uh, let's go, Brandon." Yeah. So I don't. Um, you know, you're saying there's this uproar. I mean, I think a few people saying some things and getting upset that a, a pilot said it 
is one thing, but I don't think there's this mass uproar about it. I think it, I think it's kind of funny, um, and it is what it is. And if you're trying to say like one group is saying, you know, worse things over another, I mean, I, everybody everybody is awful to everybody these days. Well, and, so and, something and, like let go, Brandon is is it's just mild. basically right. uh, nothing. Yeah. Well, the thing I see, I I I agree. I agree. Now again, I understand the Southwest concept, and a number of people are texting in. Well, why were people upset? Well, interestingly, the person who broke the story was apparently a, a reporter for the Associated Press, of course, who was on the plane and heard this, and then writes the story about it, and then you get everybody that says they're offended. But if to the extent, Ryan, you think it's not a big deal, I'm just going through. Big story in the New York Times today about this. Story in the Washington Post about this. Story in the Chicago Tribune. Story in the uh, NPR. Here's what Let's Go Brandon actually means and how it made its way to Congress. And can you believe that people are seeing this this meme? I, I actually, I, I I agree with you. You know, we had a story like last week that there's a lady up in Grafton who, who has a, doesn't have a Let's Go Brandon sign. She has a sign out on her front lawn that says what Let's Go Brandon means. I, I just, I, I'm not a fan of that. I, I'm just, because I, I, I see this as part of the, again, the coarsening of the political dialogue. Actually, I think Let's Go Brandon is a little, is kind of cute. I, I, I do. And a number of people are saying, yeah, I just bought that T-shirt from Amazon and, and things like that. And it's certainly better than the, the alternative. Stuff has gotten a lot coarser, like I say, over the last 20 years. I, I just, if you don't believe me, I mean, just remember, go back to the first, the second President Bush and the Iraq War and the things that were being said. I think Let's Go Brandon is kind of harmless. And I think it's, I think it's somewhat clever. I know some people say, oh, I don't think it's clever at all. But I, to me, and it's perhaps maybe this kind of in-group expression. This is what it means. It's it's coded for this. But I guess I'd rather have that coded thing than people coming out and actually saying what, what that is. And like I said earlier, it also ties into this perception that the mainstream media, at least in some people's minds, is out there trying to cover this stuff up. Because on, on the TV report, everybody knows what they're saying. And the reporter is like, well, you know, let, let's, let's pretend it's something different than that. And that's one of the things that's made it appealing. Look, my guess is that this, this let's go Brandon thing will jump the shark relatively quickly. My, my guess is three months from now, it's going to be something else that's out there. People expressing their displeasure or their love for the president or their hatred for president, former President Trump or, or whatever. To me, like I say, let's go Brandon. I, I think it's, I think it's somewhat clever. Am I going to be chanting it? No. Am I going to be upset if I see that on a sign or somebody's T-shirt? No, I'm 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 not. And I'd rather have them say, "Let's go, Brandon," than than something else. And for people that are offended and are upset, well, this is one where we go back to Wagner's rule of life number one, which is life is tough. Get a helmet. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, if you want to drive a car without a valid license or without operating brake lights or headlights, I can tell you where you want to go, and that is the city of Philadelphia, because starting, I think, like 120 days from today, Philadelphia police will not pull you over for those things. Philadelphia has become one of the first um, cities in the country to uh, essentially pass laws which prohibit minor traffic stops. 
Cops are not going to be allowed to pull you over for minor offenses. And, and the justification for this, despite the fact that in Philadelphia, crime is, is going through the roof like it, it is all over, is the fact that they, they are concerned about racial equality. So in an effort to stop what they say is a disproportionate number of minority drivers from pulled over, being pulled over, they, they have changed the law. So the way it works now is there are a number of traffic violations that in most places in the country would be grounds for you being stopped if the police notice this. Well, in Philadelphia, these violations are being classified as secondary violations, sort of like uh, seatbelts used to be around here. You know, you, you have to wear a seatbelt, but they, police wouldn't be authorized to pull you over because you weren't wearing a seatbelt. They may or may not have changed, I forget. But at least for a while, you, that was not a primary violation. But if you notice that they didn't have a seatbelt on and you stopped them some, for something else, you could, you could give them a ticket. But Philadelphia is taking it a step farther. Here are some of of the offenses which are now considered to be secondary offenses for which the police are not allowed to stop you. Vehicle not registered. So if somebody is driving around with an unregistered vehicle, they cannot be pulled over. Registration plates not clearly visible, displayed, or fashion or, or fastened. So for example, um, I don't know, around here, how often do you see cars driving with, like, no license plates? Well, this would be it. You know, registration plate not clearly displayed, fastened, or visible. I presume that means that you couldn't pull somebody over because they don't have a license plate on their car. Brake light, headlight, running light, etc. not illuminated. So you, you don't have a headlight that's working. You don't have a brake light that's working. You don't have a running light that's working. The police are not allowed to stop you. Minor obstructions. I don't know what that means. Bumper issues. So if your bumper is like dragon, you can't be stopped. Operation of vehicle without official certif- certificate of inspection. So apparently, you know, you have to have a sticker or something like that. They're not going to pull you over for that. Unlawful operation without evidence of emission inspection and other things as well. But these so-called minor situations, they're not going to let you be pulled over for. Now, there are some traffic violations that you can be stopped for. Running red lights, speeding, drunken driving, reckless driving. But all the, these other things, which we would call the routine stuff, again, no license plates, no, you know, an, an expired sticker, um, your vehicle not being registered in the first place, brake light out, headlight out, all these things, Philadelphia police will no longer be able to pull you over for that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Does this make the community safer? I mean, seriously, does it make the community safer? And, for example, in Milwaukee, should we consider doing some, or the surrounding suburbs, should we consider doing something similar? Should we say, you know, we don't care if you're driving without a license plate. We don't care if you're driving with expired tags. We don't care if the headlight's out. We don't care if the brake light's out. We're not going to stop you for this. What do they do? 
Well, they can take down the information to the extent they see it, and assuming they can identify the car, which is a big assumption, because if the car doesn't have a license plate on it, I don't know how you exactly figure out you know, what the car is. But assuming you can identify the car, you can send a citation to the registered owner in the mail, but you can't stop somebody. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a huge fan and a believer in what I call broken windows law enforcement, which means you stop the small stuff before it becomes big stuff, I, I think this is another one of these bow-downs to political correctness. And I don't know about you, but if there's a car out on the road and there's no license plate on it, I would like the cops to stop it to figure out what's going on. If the registration plate, if they've got an expired tags, if they've got headlights out, if they've got brake lights out, I personally, as somebody else who's on the road, would like to have the police stop the vehicle and figure out what's going on. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Is this the way to go? Should we follow the Philadelphia model here and tell the cops, Stop making stops. Just just don't even even bother. Now the one thing is might it might reduce the number of police chases because around here at least what happens they see a car that's driving without license plates or something they start to pull try to pull it over then the car takes off and next thing you know you've got a 90 mile an hour chase I would argue maybe there's a reason why that person ran and maybe there's a reason why that car should be stopped. All right, do we do away with allowing cops to stop cars for minor violations? I think it's crazy. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let us have an honest discussion about this. In Philadelphia, the concern was that too many people were being, too many persons of color were being stopped by police for what they call minor offenses. So the response is, let's not stop anybody for minor traffic violations. So starting, the mayor signed the law into effect this week. So it's got like 90 days or something before it goes into effect because they have to educate the police department on this major change. But starting now, if you're driving, starting in 120 days, if you're driving your car in Philadelphia and you don't have license plates, they won't pull you over. If you don't have valid license plates, they won't pull you over. If your bumper is dragging, they won't pull you over. If um, the, the list kind of goes on and on and and on, if you're headlight is out they won't pull you over if your brake light is out they won't pull you over they've now become the first major u.s city to enact what they call driving while black legislation does this make the city safer and my answer is of course it doesn't of course it doesn't and i think it's just flat out crazy 855-616-1620 because now it's pretty much open season here, you know, don't put your license plates on. Don't register the cars. You wonder how many people that are, are committing real crimes, like the car is stolen, but we can't pull it over because, well, they, they've taken the license plate off it. Now, if I'm a car thief in Philadelphia, that's the first thing I do. I just pull off the license plate because I know I can't get stopped now for driving without a license plate in my stolen car. Let's start with Paul in Plymouth. Paul, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I think it's kind of we're headed that way anyway. I've talked to several law enforcement officers about uh, cars uh, registered in Wisconsin that don't carry a front license plate. State of Wisconsin issues two plates. A lot of people ignore the uh, installation of a front plate on their cars, Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's headed in this direction. I don't think it's right. 
Well, and I don't think it makes anybody any safer. I, I mean, it's, in, including arguably the drivers. I mean, I don't, I've never been pulled over for one of these things, but if I had a headlight out, for example, and I didn't know it, I'd, I, I wouldn't object to being pulled over and the, the officer saying, Oh, by the way, you know, you got your headlight out. That then tells me I got to go fix it. It's a safety issue, if nothing else. Yeah, th- I agree. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for calling. And, and you know, it's it's interesting. One of our one of our listeners who happens to be African American says, "I, I and because I know that because he identifies himself that way." He says, "I know this policy does not make anyone safer. However, if I can drive from Shorewood along Capitol Drive all the way to Seventy Sixth Street and not see one police car, that doesn't help either. A car with I man. There's a point there. I I understand. I'm all in favor of more vigorous enforcement. I'm a big believer in more cops on the street. Anyhow, the uh, texture continues." A car without plates isn't registered, no insurance. The driver probably doesn't have a license and or has warrants. The car is also probably stolen. Well, you know, not necessarily always, but you do find that, I think, a, a lot. And, you know, that that's, see, that's the idea. I mean, don't you want to know? They might call it a minor violation, but all right. I'd like to know if somebody's out there and they're driving without insurance or something like that, because inevitably when they blow through the red light and hit me or hit somebody that I know, and then it turns out that they don't have any insurance, wouldn't we like to at least try to, you know, get them, get them off the street? And, um, I mean, what, what, what insanity is it? Then the idea is we're going to send them a ticket. Oh, okay. Well, this is with all due respect. We talked about this on, on Friday, the mayor of West Dallas, fed up, as we all are, with drunken driving, says, look, here's what I want to do. I want to change the way we approach um, rec- reckless driving. He said, I want to change the way we approach reckless driving, and instead of sending people a $200 citation, I want to give them a, 10, 000, a citation up to $10,000, which I, I have no problem with, but th- they're not paying the $200 citation. You can give them a citation for 1000 or 5000 or $10,000, and they're just going to crumple it up and, and throw it away anyhow. There's, it doesn't make any sense. It does not solve the problem. I mean, these laws and ordinances are on the, the books for a reason. As a matter of fact, here's what one of our texters says. Jeff, there's a reason for these laws and ordinances. It's the safety of others on the roadway. It's a joke, and we shouldn't follow suit. Why would anybody spend money on registration? Doesn't the DOT need the funding? Additional enforcement of these laws should be funded, not the opposite. Well, well right. If people... I don't know if somebody's driving around without a brake light, for example. I mean, I'm in a situation where that that's I don't want to rear end them. All right. I, I want to see the brake light that's on. I want to be able to see that car coming if they don't have headlights on driving again without the license plates and stuff. There's there, there's some reason why typically people are doing that. And I just think, again, it's crazy to tell the cops we're not going to let you pull something, pull people over for that. Does it make it safer on the streets? And my answer would be no. Now, if you have a problem with police that are disproportionately enforcing those laws against people of color, that's a whole different story. All right, that, that's, that's to me a whole different story, but it doesn't mean you say we're not going to enforce the laws. Let's talk to uh, John on the north side. Hi, John. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Good. What do you think? I think that, um, you know, years ago in Milwaukee, and I drive all day, I see almost as many cars with no license as I do with license. <laughs> yeah. That don't make no sense. It's the law. Yeah. You know, if, if the police if, if the police are not stopping them, what are the police doing? I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, I love the police and I want them here, but it, 
right. You know, if you're not stopping cars, but with no yeah. license plates and speeding up and down these streets and killing people, right. come on now. Like, there's a way they can do it. They say the $10,000 fine, okay, you got their name, you have their social security number. That means that you can't get no um, concealed and carry license. You can't get no fishing license. You can't get no license that, you know, mm-hmm. start taking stuff from these people. Right. No, right. Exactly. Well, thanks. Right. There, there's all sorts of stuff we can do. Now, I, I want to – they can still pull people over for speeding and running red lights, but they can't pull people over for headlights that are out, taillights that are out, brake lights that are out, um, no registration, expired registration, no license plates. And, and to me, that's that does not make the city any safer at all. Like I say, if you want to say that um, we're, we're stopping – we're we're not enforcing this fairly. Well, all right, that that's a whole different story. And you address you address that. There's all sorts of ways you can address it. But the way they're doing it in Philadelphia is just saying, "Hey, it's the wild wild west. Don't put a license plate on. Don't worry, we're not going to pull you over." That doesn't make communities safer. This might be politically correct, but this is one of these policies just like in Milwaukee where 5 or 6 years ago we came up with this cockamamie policy that we weren't going to chase people we saw where that got us this to me is one of these policies that 2 or 3 years from now my guess is they're going to reconsider it at least you hope so and don't say they weren't warned welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ Hey, as long as we're talking about traffic, if you think it's getting any better in the city of Milwaukee on the mean streets, absolutely not. Here's the latest story from the weekend. 37-year-old man who police say was speeding when he struck another vehicle early Sunday morning has died from his injuries. The man crashed his vehicle into another about 1.50 a.m. in the 5500 block of West Fond du Lac Avenue, injuring the 19-year-old woman who was driving the vehicle and the 21-year-old woman who was a passenger. Uh, let's see, the man was pronounced taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Uh, police had not released his identity. Two women were taken to the hospital where they were in stable condition. And this, of course, was was all over the, the TV on, on Sunday. But it's another one of these things. Here you have a situation, the guy driving at a high rate of speed. Now, in this case, it, it wasn't a 15-year-old. It was a 37-year-old, but loses control of the car, smashes into another vehicle, and ends up dead. Now, you don't want to see that happen to anybody. I guess if there's any sort of weird, unfortunate sense of justice. In this particular case, it's the guy that's driving at the high rate of speed who who loses his life instead of the innocent victims. Yeah, you can still say victims here. The victims who happen to be just in the wrong place at the wrong time in their car. A lot of times it, it ends up being reversed. But still, wouldn't we be in a much better situation if, if this just didn't happen on a regular basis? Since January 1st, 57 people have died in traffic crashes in Milwaukee. 57 people have died in traffic crashes. That, to me, it's almost mind-blowing as a statistic. These aren't people who've been injured. These are 57 people who have died. And, of course, you put that on to the fact that right now, on a daily basis, approximately 29 cars are stolen in the streets of Milwaukee on a daily basis, not to mention the traffic fatalities, not to mention the homicides, not to mention all the other stuff that's going on. And you wonder, you know, why Tom Barrett is in such a hurry to get out of town and head to Luxembourg. I get it. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
I understand that there are tastes are are often acquired, and and I understand that there's some people who just, for example, love broccoli. I don't get it. Broccoli does nothing for me, but I have friends who just absolutely love steamed broccoli. But at least steamed broccoli is is good for you. So I wish I loved it, but I, I just don't. There's another thing out there which is incredibly popular. I, I know, at least among some of you, but I swear I do not get it. If you haven't heard, here's the deal. This is the moment that many of you have been waiting for. The McRib which is McDonald's barbecue sandwich, is going to return to participating restaurants nationwide starting today for a limited time. McDonald's is calling this the sauciest moment of the year. Wednesday is National Sandwich Day, um, which is Wednesday. So at least at participating restaurants, they are going to be rolling out the McRib. Now, here's the, the product description of of the McRib. Just before we even get to, let, let's just talk about the health aspects. All right. The, the McRib, um, the McRib sandwich, it's 520 calories, 28 grams of fat, 890 milligrams of sodium. It's one-fourth of your daily allowance of calories for a sandwich. All right. So... What is in the McRib, if you haven't had one of these? The McRib consists of a restructured boneless pork patty that is shaped like a miniature rack of ribs. Then they put barbecue sauce on it, onions, and pickles. And again, they serve it as a sandwich on this this really heavy roll. Now, you might say to me, Restructured boneless pork patty. What exactly is that? Well, meat restructuring was developed by the U.S. Army. The, the, you know, the U.S. Army, of course, which is known for its, its cuisine. The U.S. Army developed meat restructuring to deliver low-cost meat to um, troops in the field. Now, you might say, you know, what, what part of the pig does the McRib sandwich come from? Um, and they, they don't they don't know exactly where it, it came from. They think it might be like a pork shoulder or something like that, but they're not exactly positive. In any event, the McRib is incredibly popular, and it is going to be brought back. To me, the, the McRib has always been, well, kind of like um, taking like a, a slab of cardboard and and putting a bunch of barbecue sauce on it. But at the same time, I understand why there are people out there who just stand in line for this. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The McRib Sandwich, first introduced in 1981. It has been reintroduced and uh, then discontinued for, you know, alternately over the course of the last, what, 40 years or so. Nobody actually knows what it contains. Um, that's one of the big mysteries. But um, again, we, we know it's not rib meat, so it could be coming from anywhere. It's, it's, it's kind of mystery meat, but people love it. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, just one segment here on a Monday afternoon. The McRib is back. Are you going to be in line to get it, or are you with me that this is just one of those things 
kind of like the jitterbug, that it just prompt, it just plum evades you. I do not understand the appeal of the McRib. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So if you're just tuning in, big, big news. McDonald's at participating restaurants nationwide is bringing back the McRib sandwich starting today. This is um, in advance of National Sandwich Day, which is Wednesday. I I, I just don't get it. I, I, I admit there's... There's there's just nothing that's ever been appealing to this, but I understand there's a cult of people who who love it, and it's 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 uh, you, you look at the descriptions of the you know McRib sandwich, and we we don't know what type of meat it it is. They apparently use the same thing that they do in um, well in the army, you know, where you kind of mix a bunch of meat together. I just flat out don't get it. I was asking, you know, what what part of the pig is does the meat come from? One of our texters says, "Yes, what part of pig, the pig the may, the meat comes from?" And the answer is yes. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with um, Wally in Waukesha. Hi, Wally here on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Okay, you are I a fan. I can't. I, yep, I'm a fan. I can't explain why, but when they're in town, I try to eat three a week. Three a week. You are a brave. Yep. You are not. You are not just a fan. You are. You are a brave fan. Okay, tell me what. What is? Because I admit, I just don't get it. What? What is the appeal? I find well. First of all, the shape of them is is hilarious. I mean, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be a rib, but we know it's not. In right. fact, I read someplace that the it actually comes from pig hearts, <laughs> which doesn't deter me. Which doesn't even deter me a little bit. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, we, we we know it's not rib meat. It's just it's it's something some it's some meat from the pig that's like fashioned to look like it's a rib, and that doesn't bother you, exactly. huh? Exactly. <laughs> doesn't bother me at all. I like the sauce. Yeah. I mean, the barbecue sauce is decent, and it drips all over you. You never want to eat one of these in the vehicle when you're driving because <laughs> you'll walk out a mess. Okay. But then huh. I dip I dip my fries into the into the uh, sauce afterwards. I like the slivers of pick of uh, the, the yeah. slivers of onion and the pickle, right. and the bun is actually you, you you call it a heavy bun. I would call it a nice robust bun. I yeah. mean, it's one of the few things that McDonald's makes it where the bun is just sort of a flabby yeah. nothing. Yeah, so, but it's big. I mean, I, I no, it's I been it's them. been years since I've had a McRib, but there's a lot of bread. It's it's a doughy sort of bun, isn't it? It, it is yeah. pretty doughy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, well you, know, like, you think it. You pick one up, you know, their value meal or whatever, it's really not as many calories as, you know, like a Big Mac oh, or something. Okay, well, that, I mean, kills, yeah. She just hates it every time I get one. But. <laughs> Thanks, well, I get it. I, right. I, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going to get into, into a debate about whether what, what's the better health food, buying the McRib or buying the Big Mac. That, that's not the point. I'm just saying I just I flat out, I, I guess the, the idea it's mystery meat, so you don't know what it is, except we know it's not ribs. I and mean, it's it's mystery meat that's reshaped to make you think it's ribs. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like covered with the barbecue sauce and a couple pickles. I'm just saying it's just it's not for me. But I admit, I, I don't quite understand the appeal of this. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. As a military veteran, my dad had a term for this kind of meat, and that's bleep on a shingle. <laughs> yeah. And because because of that, I would not try it, and I definitely would not pay for it. Yeah, have you ever had one? Never, yeah. I never. I'm usually an adventurous eater, but I would stop with this. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, I mean, there's a reason why. 
There, there's a reason why it, it's see if you think about McDonald's menu, the stuff that are on McDonald's's menu are are. They're, they're, it's rare that you have new products that really break in. I mean, they're hamburgers and they're cheeseburgers and there's, you know, the quarter pounder with cheese and there's, and, and I understand there's been some exceptions from time to time and there's the Big Mac and stuff like that. There's a reason they have those standards. It's because they, they consistently sell and, and do well. The, the McRib, and again, I, if you, if like our first caller, Wally, if you want to go out and eat three McRibs a, a week, uh, that, that's okay with me, except I'm, I'm hoping to do this radio show for years and years, and I want you with me along for the ride. I, I'm not sure it's exactly health food, um, but, you know, this, Jeff, all right, here's some text. Let me get to some text here. Jeff, this is part of the reason why I'm a vegetarian. I can't even tell you, you know, what this is. Number of people are saying, Jeff, this is essentially spam. You know, you should just go out and eat it. Jeff, I won't eat anything that's manufactured. Spam, hot dogs, processed chicken nuggets, uh, bologna, and also the McRib. If you can't say it's 100% from a certain part, like a rib, a shoulder, a roast, I won't eat it. Well, um, I'm not necessarily that fussy, but at the same time, I don't know. Jeff, I had one of these back when Michael Jackson's Thriller was still out in the Billboard Top 20. It was the grossest thing. I wouldn't call it a sandwich because that would be an insult to sandwiches. And then they add onions on it. Huh. Almost 40 years later, I swear, never again. Jeff, I think this is spam uh, disguised with sauce. Uh, lots of undefined foods out there. Yuck. Bring back the high-calorie steak, egg, and cheese bagel. At least then you knew what it was that you were eating. Um, well, yes. Jeff, these sandwiches have been around for ages. McDonald's incarnation, the McRib, is actually not very good in my opinion. Growing up, this type of manufactured rib patty was a regular lunch item when I went to school. They were called Mr. Rib, and you could get the sandwich every day at Quick Trip, and actually it's quite good. Yeah, a number of people are saying that. Yeah, I guess when I... When I'm thinking, and look, and I understand it, it's it's you know only a sandwich and stuff. But when I'm thinking about, huh, where where did the food come from? Well, we got the idea from the army. This is how they were going to do it, or this is the type of thing we used to do in school cafeterias in the '60s and '70s and '80s. To me, that doesn't make me more inclined to want to go out and, and do it. But that's it. Um, let's see now. I. I probably have a hundred texts about this and 95 of them take the same position that I do that I just, I just don't flat understand it. But in fairness, here's one. Jeff, I love the McRib. I'll take two and wash them down with a Diet Coke to offset the calories. Well, I, I guess so to, to each their own. And obviously I understand that there is a degree of popularity here. And if, if you want to go do it, do it. And, and like I say, I'm one of these people who believe that anything in, in moderation, I'm a little bit worried about our listener Wally that's going to be chowing down on three of these a week. But you know, if, if it's the highlight, they've brought it back. You want to get one that go with God and you know, enjoy yourself, but that's fine. You won't worry about me being in the drive through line with you. I will say this though. If you're going by a McDonald's today or tomorrow or Wednesday and you notice what seems like a disproportionately large number of cars in the drive-thru, my guess is it's people waiting in line to get the McRib because I know it is extremely popular. I just don't understand it. A lot of people weighing in on the McRib. One of my favorite texts is, Jeff, I'm sorry, but this whole conversation is making me sick to my stomach, to which I responded. So, well, here's my advice. Have two McRibs, chase them down with a large Diet Coke, 
and then uh, that'll cure what ails you. And, and while you're at it, add an apple pie for dessert. I mean, that's, you know, and, and it's either going to kill you or it's going to make you stronger. One of the two. Can't say which one. Can't say which one of, of uh, that. Jeff, your segment on the McRib was hilarious. You're far too kind in for calling for, to McDonald's for calling it mystery meat. It's definitely not rib meat. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's. I, yeah, that's. We we don't know what it is, but at least McDonald's is is upfront with that. They 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 took the same strategy that the U.S. Army did to try to get troops in the field meat and then they decided to sell it to all of us well okay that's that's great just i like to do the fun things every once in a while there's a lot of serious stuff the kyle rittenhouse case and we will be because this is it's i don't know if it's the it's not the trial of the century and i don't know if it's a trial of the decade but it's definitely the trial of the year they're in the process of the of jury selection and right now the um the attorneys are asking questions of the prospective jurors and and like i say they're 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 trying to determine individual biases and stuff well right now one of the prosecutors is asking questions about uh people who own firearms you know that's you know do you own guns and stuff because that could influence you not necessarily but it could influence you if there's somebody out there that says i don't think private citizens should have guns in the first place well, okay, if you're a defense attorney, you what you'd want to perhaps know that. One of the one of the interesting things that I don't know if they ask it anymore, but they asked it we we would do this from time to time when I was prosecuting cases and it was actually very very telling. We would ask people if they had bumper stickers on their cars. Now, nowadays, I think fewer people have bumper stickers on their cars, but it, it used to be really fascinating because you could get this insight into people you know and I'm, I'm not saying it's a basis for disqualifying somebody because they have a, a bumper sticker on their car but some of the bumper stickers they'd have on their cars would be really interesting you know, sometimes it'd be i closed wolski so okay well that that's fine but other times you know they'd have bumper stickers which really gave you an insight as to the way people you know viewed world events and viewed life events and it, at least it kind of helped you make the decision so right now they're in the process of asking individual jurors questions to try to weed it out the judge says he's hopeful to have a jury picked by the end of the day i, I again i think that that's overly optimistic but who knows okay earlier on we were talking about the race for virginia governor that up until the last couple of weeks was viewed as a slam dunk for the Democrats. Very, very prominent Democrat who served a one four year term as the uh, as the governor of Virginia, running for re- running for uh, to be elected again in a state that went for Biden by ten points. The most recent polls show the Republican challenger is ahead, but it's too close to call. It, it could really go either way. But this has become a horse race, and one of the one of the big issues that's playing out in this race. The Democrats are trying to make it about Trump. Oh, the guy that's running to be governor, he's nothing but, you know, a Trump light. And, you know, we they're running against Trump. Um, the Republicans are, are running on very much of a local education platform, and they're trying to saddle uh, the Democrat candidate McAuliffe with some of the failures of the education system. But also, they're, they're highlighting the fact that you have a lot of school boards that, in the view of a lot of people, have simply 
turned away from where the majority of people are in the effort on, on issues, in an effort to try to, I, I don't know, be politically correct or diverse or, or whatever. I bring that up because that's going to be a huge issue in the Virginia race. And if the Republican wins, part of it's going to be a rejection of Joe Biden and his policies, but part of it is also going to be based on education. Locally, we, and we've talked about this before, have a huge school board recall race up in Mequon, Thienesville that has been attracting national attention and a ton of money. The recall candidates believe that the the school board, the four members who are subject to recall, have pretty much just abdicated their responsibility to the in the the politically correct school superintendent, and the result of that has been that reading scores have gone down. There's all sorts of controversy about the staying open during COVID and things like that, going to virtual learning and stuff, and an overall sense that the current school board just has not been responsive to the needs, wishes, wants, and desires of a huge chunk of the community. I don't know how this election is going to turn out. It's, if you judge by signs and intensity, you would think that the four existing school board members are going to get recalled. But I I don't know that that's how it's going to play out. There certainly seems to be a lot more passion on the side of the recallers. I will tell you this. Early voting is just through the roof. You go by Mequon City Hall any time in the last two weeks, and and it's a school board recall race in November, for goodness sakes. And and you'll see, I think at any given time, there's like half a dozen people just coming in constantly to early vote in this school board race. So I don't know how it's going to all turn out. If I had to bet, I would bet in favor of the recall movement. And if that happens, that's going to send shockwaves all across the country because there is a general perception that a lot of local school boards have just decided that they don't care what the public thinks and they're willing to turn over various decisions and leave them in the hands of some of these educrats and not really respond to the public. So don't know how that's all going to play out. If you put a gun to my head and said, Jeff, you've got to make a decision, you've got to make a prediction, I predict the recalls succeed against the various school board members. But one way or the other, my guess is it's going to be close. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a heavily turnout election. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I'm always amazed at the reach of the station. We were talking about the Virginia governor's race that's going to be on the ballot tomorrow. And like I say, a month ago, six months ago, this was viewed as a slam dunk for the Democrats for a variety of reasons, starting with the fact that Biden won Virginia by 10 points in November of 2020. And now it's a toss up. And if you look at a lot of the polls, actually, the Republican candidate is pulled ahead. Here's a note. Uh, Jeff, I'm a D.C. area Virginia resident listening to you. I'm excited about this race, as I've often felt like my conservative vote holds no more weight and uh, no holds no holds little weight more recently from my conversations many folks who would have voted for mcauliffe are leaning towards yunkin that's the republican given critical race theory issues in local schools as well as to take a stand against vaccine mandates i'm cautiously optimistic i'll be one of the first people in line tomorrow to cast a vote for yunkin well i do think that that's that, that clearly this the passion 
is on the side of the, the Republican candidate in Virginia. The passion is on the side of the, the recall movement in Mequon Thienesville. And, and passion goes a, a long way. I mean, I, I've, I've made this argument before. The reason Tony Evers is governor, there's really two reasons. All right. First of all, in 2018, you had people who were passionate in their dislike of Donald Trump. That, that that was just the case. And particularly in Dane County and in Milwaukee, they turned out in record numbers. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, Trump wasn't on the ballot in 2018. No, he wasn't. But people wanted to vote against Donald Trump. They couldn't have believed he got elected in 2016. And so they took it out on Scott Walker. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a vote for Tony Evers. I'm sure, you know, outside of his immediate family, there were a handful of people who were excited about Evers becoming governor. But that's not what the vote was about. It was this passionate anti-Trump vote that, you know, was channeled into let's vote against Scott Walker. Let, let's do it that way. And and that's there's there's a lot of passion like that in 2016 when Donald Trump got elected. There was there was a lot of passion that was there. You had a lot of people who just passionately disliked Hillary Clinton. And I think there were a lot of even you know mainstream Democrat voters who, you know, weren't necessarily that thrilled about Hillary Clinton. And, and she didn't have the passion factor. Passion is what drives turnout. And at least if you look at the preliminary stuff, you see which side the passion is on. Oh, the other reason why I think Evers beat Walker was because credit where credit is due, Democrats strategically uh, picked heavily Democratic areas and managed to get um, non-binding legalized marijuana referen- referendums on the ballot. So you had people who might not have otherwise turned out some of the, the pothead vote, but you turn them out because they want to vote to legalize marijuana and they, they stick around to vote for Tony Evers. And, and that, was a, that was a strategy that was used and a strategy that worked, which is a lead-in to what I want to talk about in this segment of the, the program. Rebecca Clayfish, who at least at this point in time seems to be the leader for the Republican nomination against Tony Evers, you know, next next year. Um, she w- was just ripped in the media headline saying because she, she's talking to a group of people in Door County and she says, look, you know, we, we got to move on from 2020 and we have to we have to use tactics that the Democrats used against us. You know, we the, the idea of ballot harvesting, you know, having the, these events where, you know, you have people that accumulate a bunch of other people's votes, you know, people have voted and then you turn them in. We need to start doing stuff like that. You know, I, I don't like it, but as long as this is going to be the practice, we, we've got to do it. Um, she said, you know, we, we've got to look at hiring people. Her, the headline was hire mercenaries. But what she was saying is for the longest time, Republicans have depended exclusively on volunteers, and that's worked fine. But the Democrats are out and they're paying all these people and they're putting people on, you know, uh, paying them by the hour to get them to go out and work around the clock. And she said, Republicans need to start doing stuff like this. It's like, you know, the analogy that one of our texters had is, hey, you know, if if it's a gunfight, you don't bring a guy. If that's the rules, you don't bring a knife to the gunfight. You bring a gun. And so what, what Clayfish was talking about was this need. We've got to do and we've got to embrace these type of things to which I, I say amen. I mean, I, I think until you get decisions on, on whether stuff is legal or not or whether you get a legislature and a governor to agree that stuff is legal or not, if this is the rules that one side plays by, it's just silly not to have the other side play by those rules. In addition, there's some things that I think that 
traditional Republicans are just flat out wrong on. Let me give you a, a couple examples. I was talking about this Mequon Thienesville vote a while ago, and I was talking about how everybody I, I speak to tells me the early voting is just intense. Lots of people are going in, and that early voting, I think, opened up two weeks ago today. I don't think you can early vote anymore. not positive about that, but I think I think that the time for the early voting has ended. But during that, that two-week period where early voting was open, I mean, there was a steady stream of people showing up for this local school board race. People like to vote early because they, they either don't want to stand in line on Election Day or whatever. So they're taking advantage of that early voting. One of the other things that people like to do is they, they like to make it as easy as possible. And I've always believed that understanding that you want to try to eliminate fraud, but at the same time, you, you, we want to make it easy for people to vote. And where I think Republicans made a mistake um, a couple of years ago in particular is instead of Instead of just embracing some of these things that were out there and then concentrating and trying to turn out the vote, you know, they, they argued collectively, well, you know, we don't like this or we don't like that, even though it was something that was sanctioned. And as a result of that, you, you, you lost you lost votes. You didn't do what the other side was doing. One of those issues has to do with drop boxes. Ballot drop boxes, you know, places outside of, of the courthouse where you can return your absentee ballot. And, and that's what I want to talk about. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, here, here's the deal. And there's a new review by the Legislative Audit Bureau that says that when it comes to drop boxes, uh, state law neither permits nor prohibits them. Now, the State Elections Commission feels that they are appropriate. So this Audit Bureau said, well, if that's the case, you should you should develop rules on the, these drop boxes. Eleven states use drop boxes. And, you know, these a number of municipal court clerks started doing this um, after the State Elections Commission decided to authorize it. Now, there's an issue as to whether they have the authority to authorize it or not, but, you know, they, they're using these drop boxes. So how does the drop box work? Well, you request your absentee ballot. You get it in the mail. You have two options traditionally. One option is to fill it out, get it witnessed, take it back, and hand deliver it to the people that sent it to you. The other option is to get it witnessed, fill it out, seal it, put a stamp on it, and send it in the United States mail. These drop boxes give you a third option, and that option would be to take that completed ballot, sign it, you know, get it witnessed, and instead of either putting it in the mail or actually going into City Hall when it's open and giving it to a person, you take your ballot and you put it in a drop box, secure box that is then, you know, checked on a daily basis or whatever. Um, you open it up twice a day, you know, the, some authorized person at the clerk's office, and they take the ballots out and then they put them with the rest of the, the absentee ballots that have come in. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that some Republicans have opposed these drop, this idea of drop boxes. And just like the McRib sandwich, that this is something that I, I just, I do not understand. 
Early voting, for example, is here to stay, and it is a convenience. It's a convenience for Democrats. It's a convenience for Republicans. And if Republicans think the Democrats are using it too much, what they need to do is figure out ways to get their voters out there because it's a convenience. I think drop boxes are, are the same are the same. Look, I, I love the U.S. mail system, and I particularly love my local mail carrier. Great, great guy. Enjoy talking to him. He'll get out of his truck every once in a while and pet Sasha, my dog, if we're out there and stuff. She, she loves the mail carrier. I have, I have the greatest faith and trust in the U.S. mail system. But I would argue, from the perspective of security and making sure your ballot gets there, I would rather drop it off in an authorized drop box than necessarily trust it to the U.S. mail. And I guess I don't see using drop boxes as something that opens up stuff to systematic fraud. I mean, it's really, it's no different at all than putting something in the mail. And if somebody's going to be engaging in fraudulent stuff, you, you can do it via the mail just as easily as you could do it through a drop box. Drop boxes, to me, are incredibly convenient things and Worth the effort. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, state law is unclear as to whether they're allowed or not. But I, I want to talk about the general concept. Do you have any problem at all with, I don't know, the municipal clerk having a secure box outside of the courthouse where people can go and drop off ballots? And if you have an objection, what would the objection be? 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I think moving forward, Republicans really need to stop fighting the battles of 2020 and and really start looking forward. And that's why, for example, former President Trump had, he, he still, he had a letter to the Wall Street Journal where he's repeating all these sorts of things about Pennsylvania. Three quarters of them, probably more than that, are kind of these like these disproved theories. But see, I, I think in 2022, this is a, a great opportunity for the conservative movement and for Republicans. But if if people look back instead of looking forward, it's it's has the potential to be a disaster because that's what the other side wants. One of the things I think Republicans need to do is I think they need to embrace strategies that the Democrats used in 2020 that until such a time as these strategies are declared to be illegal, you know, or prohibited, you you, you gotta you gotta do them. And in some cases, there's things that I, I don't think are illegal, or at least even if they are currently not authorized by state law, I think the state should consider doing those types of things. And and one of those is, is early voting. Early voting is here to stay. It is a convenience for people. They enjoy doing it. It makes life so much easier, and, and people are going to do that. Secondly, it's the idea of drop boxes. Now, like I say, the, the state law doesn't allow drop boxes and it doesn't prohibit drop boxes. But to me, if you've got a valid absentee ballot that is issued and the way you can return it right now, clearly under state law, is you can put a stamp on it and send it back or you can fill out the envelope, sign it, walk it back and give it to the clerk. I see no reason why you shouldn't be also be able to return it at a drop box. I mean, just doesn't make any sense. Um, 
Let's see. Jeff, you keep saying witnesses have to verify the signatures of voters who are their witnesses. Do you actually believe that without showing some kind of identification? Okay, that that's a different issue. Okay, if you want to argue that... All right, the, the way we accept absentee ballots is flawed and there needs to be more verification. That, that's okay. Th- then we can have that argument. But drop boxes don't do that. You know, with the drop box, it's just you've already got the absentee ballot. All right, you filled it out. You have to get somebody to sign off as a witness and you can put it in the mail and send it back. My only point is if you can do all that, put a stamp on it and send it back, why shouldn't you be able to, if you're out in the neighborhood and it's nine o'clock at night, why shouldn't you be able to drive past the drop box and, and drop it off? I mean, to me, it's actually a more reliable and if you want to make sure your vote's getting in, it's a more secure way of doing it than going down and, and putting the the, uh, the thing in the mailbox because we all know that from time to time, mail ends up getting lost. And that's that's my only point. It makes it things that we can do, Republican, Democrat, independent, to make it easier for people to vote and return ballots is something that we should embrace as long as there we can do it in a way that, you know, guarantees that there's some sort of security to the process. All right. That's why I'm in favor of photo ID. I don't think it's that much of a deal, big a deal that you should be able to prove who you are before you cast a ballot. But as far as things like drop boxes and how you return a ballot, if you can put the thing in the mailbox and send it in, you should be able to put it in some secure lock box somewhere. Jeff, I have no problem with ballot drop boxes. I've used them. I think they might well be more reliable than the U.S. mail. It seems, though, as if paranoid Republicans project that drop boxes create unnecessary opportunities in their votes. Um, I, I just to me, again, that that makes no sense at all. And if we're going to allow if we're going to try to look at our elections, we have to, I think, look at them with an open mind and say, look, there, there's some stuff that probably shouldn't be allowed. The whole idea of the the ballot harvesting, the democracy in the park, I have all sorts of issues with that, and I happen to believe that under state law it probably is illegal. But right now, you don't have a court that says that, so you got to be willing to do it. But for the life of me, I don't understand why, you know, you, you can't have drop boxes. Somebody says, plus a drop box saves a stamp, otherwise it costs somebody a stamp to vote the mailing. Um, yeah, that's the that's the thing. Somebody else is saying, well, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. I don't have a problem with the concept, but I'm curious as to how secure they are. Well, again, I would argue that the drop boxes are in all likelihood probably a lot more secure than, than maybe the U.S. mail, where it's going to be handled by a lot of other people. Now, is it possible that somebody can come along and break into the drop boxes, open the sealed envelopes, and start, you know, manually changing the votes or just destroying the votes in, for example, heavily Republican areas. I guess it's it's possible in theory, but in the real world, highly unlikely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.